0: It is a sport that has been around even before the NFL, and is one of the biggest sports in the world. In fact, the United States has won two Olympic gold medals dating back to the 1920s, and it's called a hooligans game played by gentlemen. My guest on this episode will share his story with rugby, how he played the game internationally, and how he's now working to grow the sport here in the United States, next on Sports in the Making. Thank you for joining me on Sports in the Making, a podcast where we find out what people in the sports and broadcasting industry do, how they've made an impact in the sports world, and how it all comes together. I'm your host, Don Cardona, and this is episode number 20. My guest on this episode played American football through college and was offered a contract to play professional football by the Minnesota Vikings. At about the same time, and as a way to stay in shape, he took up rugby and wound up getting a contract offer to play in England for the Bath team and decided to pursue that sport overseas, igniting his love for the sport that's lasted decades. He's carried that passion back with him domestically and is now a key figure in rugby's growth to new and existing fans here in the United States. We'll talk about what he does with rugby for the On Entertainment Group, otherwise known as AEG, what the differences between rugby and American football are, a little bit about its history here in the United States, and the future for this sport that has such a rich culture around the world. This is my conversation with Dan Lyle, Director of Rugby for AEG. Hey, Dan, thank you so much for joining me to talk rugby today, uh, a little bit about your career and uh, the future of rugby.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for having us.
0: So I want to talk first about what your role at AEG is with rugby.
1: AEG, arguably one of the, or if not the largest sports entertainment company on the planet, was bumping into the sport of rugby on a global basis. you know we have stadiums and arenas and interest and in, and in different things that we do around the world and in Europe and Australasia and Asia and South America and different places, let in the US kept bumping into people that were like, hey, do you do rugby or what's you know do you uh, do you know about it? And so um, I had in Denver, Colorado where I live, um, there are two of the biggest, sports entertainment groups at least part parts of them one is Cronky Sports Entertainment everyone knows the they're building the you know the new LA Rams and Chargers SoFi Arena but here in Denver it's the Nuggets and the Avalanche and the Rapids and MLS right and also um the Anschutz Corporation which is AEG is a uh, you know is, is an offshoot of the Anschutz Corporation owned by Phil Anschutz uh and uh so that that group is based here in Denver so I I started meeting some people in both of those organizations while I was doing uh, rugby and event marketing and different things in, in a, in a, for my previous employer and just kind of uh, started to uh, have conversations with people about what, uh, what the sport looked like. And so um, all those, all things led to uh, kind of a, like anything in life, you a bit of a happenstance run-ins meet people uh, and ultimately the AG said, Hey, why don't we start a division? The irony of that is that uh, my father is a, a retired uh, general officer, right? And he was a assistant division commander, which is you know tens of ten thousand troops and tanks and helicopters and all that stuff. And I, he said to me one day, "Well, what is this job?" And I said, "Well, I'm I'm, I'm creating and starting the rugby division for AEG." He goes, "Wow, well, big is that?" And I said, "Well, it's me." <laughs> so you know, um, you know, it, it's grown over the last couple of years, but it, um, you know, it's a uh, that's the embryo to uh, to toddler stage.
0: So my background with rugby is I really didn't know anything about it until I started working at Universal Sports Network, which we covered, uh, you know, a little bit of rugby union and rugby sevens. Can you give me a brief description of the difference between rugby and say American football?
1: Yeah, um, it, it's it's probably the the best comparison because there, people think it's a like for like the the actual playing of rugby is feels more like the combination of basketball and soccer with a little bit of the physicality or proprioception of, of American football, but uh, uh, rugby predates football, right? All the, Mm -hmm. all the, uh, uh, the language, the scrimmage line came from the scrum, you know, where everybody knows they push against each other and the ball is put in the middle. That's the restart, just like the, the center snapping the ball and the flankers are kind of like the, Wideouts and the backs are kind of like the, rec- the receivers and the and the quarterback and the halfbacks and things like that so everything came from them. so once you watch it and you start can can create some some analogous dialogue you see the two sports but you know Smith who invented basketball was also a rugby player at mcgill and you know so the flow of basketball and putting people through gaps and playing team defense and of course the, the rules of association football, which was, became soccer, the, that, uh, the association, so, uh, sock or soccer, you know, those rules. So the Harvards and McGills and Yales and all that stuff were, in America, were playing some form of soccer, some form of rugby that evolved into some sport of, uh, of American football. So if you look at that, getting the ball down the field and putting the ball into a goal or over a line, you can pretty much, you know, understand it pretty quickly, um, in that regard. But in in rugby, there's two distinct versions of the game. There's 15 on 15, which is very much like American football, 80 minutes, gladiatorial, war of attrition, you know, all that stuff. And then the Olympic version, which is seven on seven, same size field, seven players, a lot of more scoring, a lot of quickness, a lot of pace, uh, over seven minute halves. So you can play multiple games in a, in a on a day, which is more conducive to a two or three day tournament, uh, for the Olympic games. So, um, you know, I just, I just instruct people I said, think of option quarterbacks, point guards meets, you know, a tight end or a linebacker.
0: It's, it's a fun sport to watch, especially, you know, the excitement of rugby sevens and how fast it is. The one thing that I guess always grabs my attention with it, and it seems very simple, but the numbering for each position, you know, with, any American football your players are get to select their their numbers, but in, in rugby, you have a number assigned to the position you're playing. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, both, both in 15s and 7s. A little bit more flexibility in 7s, but yeah, pretty, pretty close.
0: And so if, if you can, and I know we don't have a heck of a lot of time, but can you explain what positions, let's just go with 7s because 15s obviously take too long, but position 1 through position 7 in rugby's, how would you describe what each position does?
1: Well, th- there's a bit of a uh, uh, egalitarian system once the, what the quote unquote set pieces are done, right? The, the kickoffs or the scrums or the, or the line outs, right? So generally one, two, three are the, the scrum, uh, the, you know, and, and, and they're the front row and they are the line out for forward. their forwards and sevens, right? So they're probably have a little bit more, a uh, little bit bigger, a uh, little bit more physicality. And then the next four are the backs, the the nines that the, the 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 four, five, six, seven are the those guys there. But the thing about sevens is there's no place to hide, right? You've got this big wide field and all this stuff. So the the you have to be really agile and, and almost as quick, you know, as a forward in sevens versus in fifteens where one through eight are the forwards and nine through fifteen are the backs. There's a you know, there's guys that are out there, they're six foot nine and you know, 270 pounds that are playing block or four and five and, and doing things. And they're, 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 they're covering channels, but they're not, certainly not covering the, the field like a, like a sevens forward would be.
0: So I'll take a step back and talk 15s. Cause you did play rugby union. You were number eight. What was your responsibilities during that game?
1: What's funny when we're talking about numbers, the number eight is probably the only position that wears the number eight in his back, but it's also called that as well, right? <laughs> the, the, it's the number eight. I mean, you're part of the back row, which is those of the scrum. You've got the three front front row forwards, one, two, three. The second rows, the locks, four and five. In essence, that's the modern day offensive line, right? Okay. That's, the, that's the center, the two guards and the two tackles. And then from there, the back row of which the number eight is one and the two flankers, six and seven, open side flanker and blind side flanker are that that's the tight end meets linebacker group, right. That, uh, you know, so you do a lot of that connectivity between the line and the, you know, and the backs, uh, in in that regard. So, yeah, I played number eight and, and, and that was the number on my back ends as well as that. So it's a really athletic, uh, meets, you know, physical, uh, position.
0: Now you played American football in college. And you had the opportunity to play professional football. I believe you were offered a deal with the Minnesota Vikings, but you decided to go rugby. Why did you do that?
1: Yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, Out of college, uh, and I went to a small D1A school or now, you know, uh, championship uh, school. Uh, So the likelihood of going pro and I was training to be an army officer and, you know, I'd I'd, I'd moved all around the, the country. Uh, with my father and all around the world so you know grew kind of late uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do um, th- those were the options and i got bigger and better and more physical and grew to a you know uh, a decent-sized athlete and a p- decent-sized capable athlete to college so uh, the, the sports world became more and more well maybe I'll do this and so I had a few uh, free agent tryouts and with the redskins out of college and those didn't really work out and my first cousin was playing rugby in for the Washington Rugby Club, and he said, "Hey, come stay fit with with us." And back then, there was no sports performance centers, right? There were no, you know, mm-hmm. all these, you know, uh, you know, high performance centers that you could really kind of get stuck into and all that. And I, I was trying to do a lot of things, and uh, so I started playing rugby, and just felt like it was every sport I'd played growing up rolled into one. It just felt natural to me. I got seen by a few of the American uh, national team people pretty quickly, so. I was kind of made a project player, you know, really, really quickly and started doing that. And, and, and funnily enough, rugby, the open chain running, the you kind of uh, know, the catching the ball, running, doing a, you know, offensive, defensive, a lot of things. I probably became a better athlete, you know, because I was doing more well all round stuff. I was playing. I was almost in essence playing basketball on a field. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is what I always say to people. And, and basketball was my favorite sport growing up. I played soccer and basketball. All the way through high school until I was eighteen, but basketball was kind of my favorite sport because I grew up in the kind of the Celtics Lakers eras of the seventies, you know, and eighties. So I really fell in love with the, that that whole you know f- fast paced fluidity of the Lakers and the kind of the teammate teamship of the of the Celtics, you know. So there was just kind of that rivalry every year. And uh, long story short, I'd be other and and I was playing for the U.S. really quickly playing on uh, like Fox sports international or something like that. You remember all those days back in Mm -hmm. your universal days. And, uh, uh, um, uh, my old, an agent and a guy saw me playing and, and a guy named Gary Zahner who was the special teams coach for the Minnesota Vikings, you know, saw me and said, Hey, I remember that guy from college and called me up and, um, said, Hey, you want to come up to Minnesota for a tryout in the off season? And I, I had not played football for two and a half years. You know, I had started playing rugby. i had been doing that for a couple of years and I went up there and uh Denny Green was the head coach and uh and Mike Tice was the tight end coach, you know, uh at the time. Right. And, you know, and I absolutely slayed my I mean, I killed the uh tryout. I, I, uh you know, I ran as fast as I've ever run, you know, in the sub four seven for, you know, for a two sixty five guy wow. and, you know, I was catching balls and Snapping and doing all kinds of stuff, and they offered me a contract, you know, um, which I've got on my wall. And that's when the game of rugby was going professional overseas. And um, I had I played a match up in Canada, maybe a couple weeks before that. Um, and it was the first time the U.S. ever beat Canada in Canada. And I got the man of the match for the game. And said so, there was a scout there from the English Premiership uh, and uh, from Bath, the club I uh, signed for. And literally I had a contract to go play professional rugby and a contract to play go play professional wow. football sitting in front of me at the same time, you know, which was uh, some crazy stuff. And I've got both of them, you know, in a frame, you know, and, you know, I always say to people, you know, I went, I met my wife over there who's English and, and I've got three boys and all that kind of stuff. So I made the right choice, you know, doing what sure. I did and all that regard. And, you know, the NFL, it's, there's never a, nothing's guaranteed, right. You know, you got to, you got to make the team and you got to, you know, get past the third game and you got to do a lot of stuff. Um, But all my buddies over here were like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, you know, they had no, they had no idea what rugby was. Right. So uh, to that degree, but yeah, yeah, that was the, that's how it all happened.
0: Okay. So that brings me to my, my next question about rugby. It's, it's a growing sport here in the U S but outside the U S it's huge. Was it a culture shock for you when you went over there to play professionally?
1: Yeah, I suppose I was probably more international and more inclined to understand. I mean, I, I moved. I was in thirteen places before I was eighteen. You know, I, oh, wow. I knew what moving around was, and I knew how to acclimatize myself. You know, I I'd, I'd been in a military university, and you know, went to airborne school and different things like that. So, kind of uh, knew how to take care of myself, right? And um, I was probably a, a much better athlete than most of the guys that I came up with. I just had to learn. How to play football? I'm, excuse me, how to play rugby a little Mm -hmm. bit better, right? Compared to, you know, to the, to that. But I got, I got really welcomed really quickly because I, I, you know, I had a a high, a good work ethic and and I knew how to be a pro because I, you know, even college athletics is more of a pro environment than probably most environments around the world, right? Right. Um. So I knew how to do all that stuff. I knew how to watch film and you know, and do things that those guys weren't used to doing, you know? And so I was able to almost teach guys how to do that stuff while I was kind of learning some of the nuances of the game. And th- to be fair, we had a very open, uh, style of play, which allowed me to kind of use all of my athletic ability and, you know, cover up for any of the rugby that I didn't potentially know at the time. And was, I've always been a bit of a quick learner in that regard. So, um, you know had had early success over there after a couple of months and and just kind of never looked back at that point
0: when i was at the tail end of universal sports network when uh, nbc was coming in to purchase us i had got sent over there to produce some vignette packages on the rugby world cup because it was taking place in england that year and i got a, and i got the chance to go to rugby which is a place in england and found out about the history of the sport and it was really interesting and Right around that time, I was doing my research to to go there. I found out that the United States won the first two Olympics that rugby was ever hosted, uh, 1920 in Antwerp and, and uh, 1924 in Paris, and both times they beat France. What is the history of rugby here for U.S. fans, and and how do you grow that uh, in your role now?
1: Yeah, the for any people out there that are going to England, it's kind of uh, you know part of that tourist triangle of London. Oxford, uh, Stratford on Avon, Bath—you know—that goes back through Stonehenge and Windsor. It's you can you can you can get on that um, as you know, kind of you know, an hour outside of London on the train. It's a pretty cool place, yeah. and, and and the rugby school is actually one of those big private schools like Eton and Harrow that everybody knows that you know, like Churchill and the Prince you know, William and Harry and all those folks went to. So it's a pretty cool place, and the, the World Rugby Hall of Fame is there. You know, that, uh, you know, and, and the, the plaque, you know, the w- William Webb Ellis Trophy, which right. is like the Lombardi Trophy.
0: It's really cool. There
1: kind of, yeah, it just reads kind of in general disregard for the rules of the day. You know, William Webb Ellis picked up the ball and ran with it. It, it. It's a little bit of myth to that, right? Sure. But, um, you know, if, if you know the history of, of American football and soccer and all this stuff, as we kind of were talking about earlier, that's what football and soccer and rugby were just kind of all rolled into one over here, you know, and and the Boston rules which is what Harvard played versus the McGill rules, which is what McGill University of Montreal played versus the Yale, you know, Yale rules, which Walter Camp was modifying. And obviously he came up with the downs, you know, in American football, having played this. So the, the point of saying all that stuff is that the game is is super authentic in America because it's been around. It's the oldest sport on the campus of Cal Berkeley, 1882, hmm. right? Varsity Sport. They're perennial national champions. There's others that, you know, the IVs and the and the military academies and, you know, the a lot of the schools out there that they've got 50 to 125 years of alumni, right? They've got real so it's been around for a very long time. There's over a thousand universities, men's and women's, that play the game, you know, um, so it just it just didn't become part of the NCAA or the scholastic movement, and it probably had a chance to, but it was kind of more of a counterculture dialogue, and and reemerged in the '60s and '70s when there was that that was the kind of the feeling of America at the time, you know, this countercultural, mm-hmm. and and American football player guys were playing football on a Saturday and playing playing rugby on a, on a Sunday or vice versa in the spring, they were just doing it and their coaches weren't checking up on them. And obviously there was no internet and all that kind of stuff where they could be recorded. And there's some of the most famous football players of the sixties and seventies and early eighties actually played rugby at those times. And it was kind of a thing. And, and of course for women, that was the first time that women, you know, uh, sports and other things really in title nine started taking over. And those first women's rugby teams started to be formed and, really in in the advent of of title nine really became a more and more popular to the point now where women, the women's NCAA movement as an emerging sport is, is got significant legs. And I I would envision in the next few years that it becomes a fully fledged women's NCAA sport because of that. But it's, it's probably the most popular sport that Americans only come across when they are in college. Mm -hmm. And, it's changing a little bit more because of the Olympic inclusion.
0: Yeah. And you talked about women in, in this sport. It, it's not something that I think traditionally we've thought of that women would participate in, in, in kind of a, you know, more brutal sport. But so I've watched the, you know, the New Zealand silver ferns play. I, you know, when I was at the Olympics in Rio, they were staying at my hotel. So of course I had to get a picture of them and they, and, and they were great seeing how, how passionate they are about this sport and how, dedicated they are, it's amazing that it's growing so fast. Why do you think that is for women?
1: Well, I, I think combining one of your questions earlier, which maybe I didn't answer fully, I mean, we, we play American football. That's our contact sport from a societal mm-hmm. uh, perspective. Um, rugby arguably is the world's contact sport, right? You know, no one else really plays football, right? American football. You know, So rugby is kind of that that sport. And 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 the cool thing about rugby is that there's no no real difference no difference in ball size field size number of players for men and for women and there's probably you know in the united states there is no hockey and lacrosse are certainly very very cool um you know physical sports you know but uh, kind of the you know the easy to pick up easy to play you know rugby has got a real real uh, leg up on a lot of things once once it's exposed in the right way in the right campuses you know so i think it's a sport that um that people are drawn to because of the uh, shared sacrifice side of things everyone says the, the physical side the brutality side it's really a game of space right you don't want to run at somebody unless you have to right mm-hmm. you know but everyone's going to have to at some point everyone's going to have to get physical and it becomes that, that a sport where there's a lot of teams teammate ship you know uh, that it's uh, you know predisposed so uh, I think a lot of people are drawn to that
0: and you just mentioned you know there is a little bit of a misperception of that brutality aspect of it but it's it's one of the more safer sports as far as concussions go and I know that Pete Carroll up with the Seattle Seahawks has brought rugby players in to teach them how to tackle properly a lot of you know because NFL so fast and you have those pads I think in my mind, not being a football player, they're just using those pads as leverage. So how does rugby factor into maybe American football?
1: Look, the, the, the science is is, uh, is still being developed on, on concussion and why and how and big hits, second hits, micro hits. There's a lot of dialogue going on about what that looks like mm-hmm. and, and, and what's the likelihood. So, you know, but because you you have you have to wrap uh and you have to you know in essence which which means you have to put your shoulder on somebody which means you have to get your head out of the way they call it cheek to cheek face cheek to butt cheek you know you know it 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 feels inherently safer right you know now people still move at fast paces and you can't get your body into the right places and all that kind of stuff you know like anything you know but um you know, the, the pure difference between rugby tackling and, and football tackling is that you have to wrap, right? You have to actually get your arms around somebody. You can't shoulder charge. You can't run into somebody, you know, um, without doing that, right? And so, therefore, um, that inherently saferness is what it is uh, by a long stretch. It's, uh, it's more successful. It's more practical, Right. So these football coaches are like, like saying to themselves, "Okay, I, I got to teach my guys to get their head out of the tackle because the less their head goes in the tackle, the better off they'll be." In, in, from a safety perspective, but the reality is that if, if I get them to wrap somebody and I get them to shoulder leverage, as, as they call it in in Seattle, the hawk tackle, or what Urban Meyer did, which was, "Hey, you know, we're we're you know last in our conference or second to last in our conference and defensive tackle rate," and then you bring in. You know, uh, rugby tackling structures, which he was like opposed to. He's like, "Why? Well, why would we do this?" and all this stuff. And then you go on, and you know, you're the number one in the nation in set tackle rate, and you win a national championship. He just expounds it, right? So, I think it's one of those things where you know, rugby has you know, uh, is a, mostly a spring sport. Um, you know, it probably has a favorable, complementary strategy for rugby. I, if I'm a rugby coach or I'm a football coach, I wanna, I'm gonna spend some time with on high school campuses and college campuses with those folks, because you're ultimately going to become a better uh, football player. Thinking about offensive linemen and defensive linemen and other guys opening up their stride and running all over the field. And, you know, just being that much more proprioceptively good at something more athletic, you know, let alone tackling, let alone all that ball handling that's there, all that close quarterness that's required, you know, in, uh, in football. So, they they super complement each other, um, and and that's where a lot there's been a lot of success at some some high schools around the country where they've got they've got state championship football teams and you look behind the scenes and they've got state championship rugby teams and they're working together the De La Salle's and the Jesuits and things like that they're just you know it's funny how some of those things parallel.
0: Before we get into how rugby has been able to grow. Uh, I'd like to talk, if if you can, uh, a little bit about the culture and traditions of rugby, because I think they're really interesting, you know, with New Zealand, they have the haka, and I believe Fiji has, uh, is it called the haka as well in Fiji, or in the Polynesian com- countries? Samoa,
1: Tonga, and Fiji have their own version of the haka, all called, you know, they're called different things, but they're, in essence, the same, um, uh, they do it for the same reasons, right? It's kind of a, a, a challenge. And 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 a, and, a, and what they do is that it's it's supposed to honor the team that they're playing that they're that they're willing to you know uh, to, to lay down that challenge it's kind of an ancestral you know uh, dialogue you know that that goes on and each of them have different words and different overall literal meanings but they're all meant to be a, a sign of respect
0: and then within the game itself it's a gentleman's game played by.
1: Hooligans, hooligans.
0: (laughs) What does that mean to you?
1: Or yeah, versus a hooligans hooligan game, you know, played by gentlemen, right? So so they they say that difference between soccer. So soccer is a you know is a gentleman's game played by hooligans, and rugby is a hooligans game played by gentlemen. Gentlemen. It's hard sometimes as as a fan, and I'm a father, you know, to watch soccer and even American football. You know, going to a American football game, you know, you you you've got this. Uh, this tribalism and this parochialism that's kind of spills over into, you know, this kind of vitriol dialogue in the stands and things like that. And soccer has had that same thing, that, but it's, it's, it's spilled its way onto, uh, you know, uh, onto the field. Right. And, and you're just hearing players talk to referees and others at different times. And I think that everybody within those sports don't want that. Right. And, and you know, and, and that's gone all the way down to, you know, Friday night tykes, you know, in American football, where it's, you know, you know, hit and hurt him and all that kind of stuff. And I think as a, as a culture um, in today's society with, with, we're all on social media and we're seeing things and it's reactionary and all that kind of stuff. You know, I I think rugby has a place in helping society because it, 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 it's not just something that that's part of the sport. It's required that you have to call the referee, sir, right? Sir, ma'am. Hey, I need. I, you have to shake hands with the with the opposition afterwards. You have to not just shake hands. You got to clap them off. You you have to, you know the the it's the coaches' jobs. The coaches aren't on the sideline yelling at the referees, right? They're 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 supposed to be like in the professional game. They're up in the up in the stands and they're trying to create a a, a, a you know a difference between you know the players playing the game and the referee, you know being part of that uh, dialogue and. You know, and certainly the, the language and the culture and all that stuff, you know, uh, things happen, but it's policed um, to where the, the culture of the game is. If, if player welfare is 1A, of, of, should be a, one, of, of one, a number one priority, then 1A in rugby is the culture and the values.
0: All right, I'm talking with uh, Dan Lyle, director of rugby for AEG. Dan, this is kind of a... A, a, a whirlwind we've all been thrown in the sports world with COVID-19. So I want to just pretend that that's not happened with any sport. There's a lot of sports out there. There's some new sports emerging. There's esports now. There's a lot of different sports out there. How have you been able to grow rugby in the United States?
1: Unfortunately, it's grown haphazardly, right? The organic growth that is usually personality-driven. Some individual starts a club. Um, We talked about that 60s and 70s timeframe where, you know, colleges started coming back into the fray and more and more came from there, which means we're kind of in our second or third generation of rugby players in the United States, you know, that outside of those, all of those early teams that that, uh, started back in the late 1800s and went through to the Olympic Games and, you know, uh, in those first games and that system, uh, or that, that organic growth that's been happening because we live on a continent, you know, and every state it's like living, you know, I always say, well, what's it like to grow rugby in America? It's like growing rugby from Ireland to Istanbul, right? (laughs) There's a lot of different people and a lot of different, different climates and cultures and so forth. And so if it's, it's rooted now in colleges, the the idea was to grow and broaden the base and and it became in the, in the late nineties and early two thousands, because it was a, you know, uh, it was in these universities and it's a pretty inexpensive sport. It it started to grow pretty fast at the high school level because those, those, all those folks that were graduating colleges in the sixties and seventies were now kind of in the, you know, in their, you know, thirties and forties and the eighties and nineties were okay. I've got kids now and, we're instead of waiting till they get to college, let's get some programs. And it's always had a, like soccer, it's had an expat affiliation, right? So the mm-hmm. coastal, the coastal uh, structures and people of were you know the South Africans and Australians and and Polynesian communities and so forth on the on the west coast and the Brits and the Irish and and the French and those in, in the uh, were in the uh, and then pockets in different places. And so it's really been that's what I mean it's been haphazard you know, uh, in, in an approach, uh, for a very long time. And, you know, the, the game went professional in 1996, really, really late. They've had, you know, games that pre, you know, for forever, professional um, globally,
0: you're talking right.
1: Professionally globally. Right. And so of course for the United, the United States, that's when, that's when I had those two contracts sitting in front of me, you know, mm-hmm. with the Vikings and, and with the, with Bath and England. And so it's really only kind of in its, you know, you know maybe 1.0, 1.5 level of maturity, right? Think about all the different evolutions of, of the game of, of football in America and baseball and, and basketball and all the different mergers and, and, different, and different groups. And, and these franchises are successful and these weren't and these startup leagues and all that stuff. So it's really uh, kind of new. And so, therefore, it, it is in it, it's kind of in its uh, it, it just it's it's always grown, um, rooted in our university systems, and then, uh, you know, you know, individually, personality haphazardly below that.
0: With rugby now, at least from my experience as you know, being in broadcasting, it's it's about creating interest somehow and getting those athletes that can really be the face of a sport. And the two people that come to my mind immediately, because Rugby Sevens was more focused, and I think you know who I'm going to be talking about here, is Perry Baker and Carl Niles, who have, well, at least Carl Niles, they consider the fastest man in rugby. But creating the face of rugby, is that part of the strategy or is that more challenging to find? Yeah. I kind of went all over the place there. Sorry.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a great, it's a great question. Cause uh, you know, I'm, the, the, the
0: haphazard growth of
1: America is a, kind of an all over answer. Uh, first and foremost, um, the, the, the Olympic sevens dialogue, um, and Carlin and Perry, and I'll add you know, a Kelter and Naya Tapper who are the same type of crossover athletes on the women's side. Cause our, our teams mm-hmm. are the top, top three in the world. You know, we, we, we we have more natural athletes, we're, 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 dripping with natural talent over here, right? You know, you, there's right. so many athletes in America and so few, you know, post 22 year old environments that they can go to and continue to compete in. And so the American sports system is rooted in scholastic, you know, so, so school programs that lead to scholastic high school programs that lead to collegiate programs that lead to professionalism and or the Olympics, right? That is the American sports complex. And you have, philanthropic and, and entrepreneurs and companies that get involved in that for, for all things. In 2009, America, we went to a state-based model for the very first time for youth in high school, you know, and that, so that meant that each state uh, could concentrate on growing the youth in high school movements. And, and there's one state in America, Massachusetts, that is officially a school sport, right? And there, so you got 49 more states to go, mm-hmm. men and women to go there. But it also in 2009 was when uh, rugby got back into the Olympics, right, for the real Olympics, as you pointed out. But, you know, seven years later, that's a seminal moment because that is where Americans, uh, they understand things, right? They understand, oh, where, where do I play rugby? Well, you play for your state, right, or, or in your state for your high school or whatever, and they understand the Olympics. That's all. That's the way that we all grow up. Certainly we're more international than that now, right, with all t- types of other sports, and you lived and breathed a lot of those at Universal Sports, But that 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 so sevens as the Olympic sport and and those faces um, rugby uh, NBC came calling in 2009 and said, hey, let's let's create some content. What what is it that we can latch on to to start building the value proposition for the Olympics for Americans? Right. So those people have uh, more value, uh, more face recognition um, than, you know, the, the 15s game where you know, a couple of dozen of those guys and, 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 uh, are playing abroad, you know, and are, uh, doing very, very well, like I did mm-hmm. in the in premiership or in, or in France and some of the, some of the better leagues in the world. Right. So, uh, but sevens is certainly, um, because it's easy to understand, it's perfect for the American attention span sure. in a lot of ways. It's, yeah. it's great for television, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, it has, is it, a real, uh, gateway uh, for the game.
0: What does the future look like then um, from your perspective, you know, having a hand in, in making it happen? What what is the future of rugby in the U S
1: the start of that, that state-based model and, and the Olympics was the start of, of legitimizing the game, institutionalizing the game. Right. So, you know, um, you, you need to have a map of the United States and you need to say, okay, we in 2030, we're going to have 25 states that are going to have adopted men, and women's and women's soccer at scholastic level, and 2035 we're going to have 40 of those, and and so you really expand the base. You you let you get more and more people the knowledge of how to enter the sport, what it looks like. Uh, that that therefore is pumping more people into college, so that the college can improve its standards and its num and its numbers, because it's not like you need a ton more colleges playing the game. You've got a lot of them. You just need, there's a more and a better strategy there, right? And then that pushes down into, if if more high schools have the game, then there's more people pushing and and doing after-school programs and they can see a legitimate side of things. There's a lot of money at the grant level and the after-school program level in a lot of cities, but they they just, they need a vision. They need to see where it's all going to go, right? And companies want to be involved in and that level as well. So I, I really f- feel like it's really putting uh, really strong targets on that number. And then then your product at the national team level gets better because you've got you've got more and better coming out of out of the youth and high school ranks. Now, th- we've also have a, a two year old Major League Rugby, which is a professional league um, that's happening. Certainly, you need to be able to be pumping out, you know, uh, 300 athletes a year you know, in order to populate the 30 for your national team, you know, you need, you need good quality competition. That's improving. You need, you know, that, that conversation and all that stuff is going to be tied together. And I think that it's all been separated for a very long time, right there. As I said before, it's all been personality driven. So as rugby uh, looks at itself in the mirror, um, it's got to say to itself, well, what, how is it that, uh, that we believe we can grow um, that is Conducive to how most sports in America uh, grow, perceived and are valued.
0: Now, the Rugby Sevens World Cup has been hosted here in the U.S., uh, and there's talk of trying to bid for the 2027 Rugby World Cup. If if everything goes well with what we're living through right now, what's been your experience with those events in getting people to be more interested in it?
1: The the challenge is that um, the Rugby World Cup for 15s, you know, every four years, the U.S. team is not men's team is not very competitive. Right. You know, in that. And so give me the perception that we can win or have the opportunity. That's been the biggest challenge. And and you need to play, you know, you need more and better players and more and better competition. So that's the MLR meets the growing of the foundation, the base and, and the growing of certain programs. That is a, a a huge financial undertaking, you know, for any uh, nation that does it. And certainly in America, it's a unique proposition because the cause government doesn't finance like it does in many other places. Right. Right. It's, they're they're privately driven. And, you know, and 1994 for America was a seminal moment in America because it allowed for the launch of professional soccer uh, by way of the MLS. And people came together and it was you know, probably the most attended still to this date event, you know, I, I think that that MLS went through some evolutions of uh, renting other people's stating stadiums, stadiums, owning their own stadiums, you know, how, how they develop their players, what the pay to play model looks like, you know, I think women's soccer is kind of in that same place where we've got a hugely successful national team, but maybe, you know, high school, you know, because we have a hugely successful collegiate system, you know, mm-hmm. and, But but college soccer players don't you know that those aren't those aren't the guys that are playing in the MLS anymore right so we've is 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 rugby's goal to you know have a World Cup unlock a system or penetrate the system that's American you know have a nest egg off the back of that use that as a target for sponsors and for broadcasters and all that stuff all that stuff needs to be laid out you know against uh, the financial model on the back of that has got to be sustainable uh, because that that money ultimately will run out if you don't create a sustainable product, right? So I think it's well worth investigating that dialogue. It's hard to see 27 because you've got uh, this little old thing called the Soccer World Cup in 26 (laughs) and this little old thing called the Olympic Games in 28 in LA and sandwiched in between that, does that take all the oxygen out of the room for sponsors and other people like that? And I know the Women's World Cup You know, uh, is also a a something soccer wise is is something that that they're also contemplating as well in that kind of that twenty seven window. So, you know, and and you want a competitive team. So, will you have a competitive team by twenty seven? So you've got to you've got to create the building block. So feasibility and bidding over the course, I think it's going to be over the next year and a half uh, is hundred percent worth doing. uh, And then going and then layering that into what the plans are leading into that and potentially leading out of it.
0: Sounds like you have a, a challenge that you're probably ready to face, but I'm sure there's going to be some roadblocks along the way. Yeah, you, you,
1: you know, AEG, a um, we're a principal. We like to build stuff, right? We like sure. to build buildings and leagues and teams and and partner with people. And we, we like to think of ourselves as agnostic and, you know, doing a lot of things with a lot of different people in a lot of different genres, even people that are, that, that are, that are looked at as, Potentially as competitors to ours, you know, we work with in a lot of lots of different fashions on a global basis. And I think what all of that sums up to be is that we and others, we, we, we entice people to invest in things, you know, uh, time, energy and money. We want to we want to entice people to invest in the game, you know, domestically and internationally. Right. We have tons and tons of experiences of running leagues and venues and and commercial relationships around the world so it's not just a u.s domestic conversation it's about how do we how can you make better this sport you know on uh you know on different continents right. on which we operate on all of them
0: all right let's change gears slightly uh, we're still staying within rugby but you are the analyst for nbc sports with rugby how did that come about and and what do you enjoy about it
1: well um it's probably the uh, you know i was the the only man standing you know <laughs> um you know, at some point right although i like to ramble on a little bit and broadcasting is more about word efficiency particularly in in rugby where you don't give a, you don't get a lot of time right you know um to do stuff there's you don't have a you, you you don't have a lot of programming around it to talk about the sport too much you know um i was a guy that had a lot of experience and uh, and working with universal and and then with nbc and and you know, their, their team there um, in introducing and them to rugby uh, and really kind of being uh, um, someone that, that they could lean on for rights acquisitions and other things. It just become a, a natural kind of progression to, to talk about it, you know, and I, I, I probably talk more like a GM than I do like a former player, you know, I, I probably talk more about, you know, and less about the X's and O's, and, and I really enjoy the X's and O's and Uh, of the side of the thing. And and I think to sum it up, it probably is that it's competitive, right? It's, it's performance driven. You got to do it on the spot. People don't realize that you're, you know, it's constant. There's a lot of flexibility in live sports, right. And you got to, you know, adapt as it comes along and, you know, summarize and then be able to change things and, you know, play off of other people. So it almost feels like you're a player to a certain degree. So it kind of fills a little bit of those competitive juices, you know that are also out there. Um, so look, I, I really enjoy it. You know, I, I do a little bit for MLR and I do a little bit for uh, one or two of the other groups, and and that's rightly so because it, it's NBC is the leader and the home of rugby in America by a long stretch. But um, as we grow the sport, it won't be the only one. You know, for it and and um, it, it's an industry leader um, in a lot of different ways, and because it's the Olympic and the rugby World, Olympic and the rugby World Cup home. happy to be part of it no no doubt
0: now for somebody who might be new to rugby uh and they don't have an expat to watch rugby with to kind of explain the game how how would you recommend someone watch rugby to try and maybe accelerate their learning and appreciation for that sport
1: well i think if if anybody um in any sport um is watching the ball that they'll get a they'll get a sense of okay well that ball needs to go into that basket, right? Or right. that football needs to get over that goal line. So if you fundamentally um, understand that, that but those are all possession games, right? You wouldn't turn the ball over for no reason, right? Where in rugby, it becomes a territory game at times, right? You're you're in your own what they call 22 or inside your own half, and you've got less guys on their feet than the other team, and you're going to decide to kick the ball away to either gain territory or kick to go to get the ball back again. Right. So right right then and there, there's a complexity to it. Right. Um, OK, well, what am I doing? And, and then, OK, well, why doesn't somebody just go pick up the ball as they're running back? And so the offsides line that that's formed every time there's a tackle. Right. That forms that ruck or that ball. That's the second complexity. right? It's like, what, yeah. why are they all running all over the place? You know, and doing that stuff, right? And so um, what you have to say to people is that um, the objective is still get the ball over the line. Um, but how you get there, there's a couple of different ways of doing it, you know? And it's certainly, um, in sevens, possession is key. So they generally don't ever kick the ball away, right? And they generally don't do that very often, right? So that's why it's more uh, akin to an American audience dialogue. And you can see the option quarterback and the fast break, you know, point guard mentality all the time, right? Mm-hmm. 15s is much like a somebody from abroad watching an American football game and, and like, what are they doing, right? right? And, you know, who's doing, why are they doing that? And who, you know, they, they haven't snapped the ball yet. Why is that guy going in motion? And Who's that? So inherently you've got to get some of the nuances of the game before you're uh, at least in the 15s code side of it before you're able to enjoy it
0: all right i'm going to put you on the spot here a couple of times first uh, who are your some of your favorite all-time rugby players that people should know about from a historical perspective and maybe maybe even from a current perspective well he, he
1: they just had his 45th birthday and unfortunately he, he passed away and he was the the, the global star the world leader In so many different ways, Jonah Lomu, Mm -hmm. who I played with and against, and we played with him. He was a New Zealand All Black with the Barbarians, which is a kind of like a world all star team. And I'm so lucky to play on that a couple of times with him and and just, and then play against him and just see the the sheer, you know, a a 265 pound man running a, you know, a a sub 11, 100 meters is just a, you know, remarkable sight to be seen and so you know you know the will carling the captain of england you know just called him a freak right and that wasn't really the the best compliment but (laughs) it's almost the best way of of describing how good he was right uh it it played a lot of rugby in the english premiership and there was a flanker that won the uh, england world cup for uh, played for saracens and played for england when they won the world cup in 2003 richard hill And, and so he was in the back row for. And he was probably the the guy that I you know, had the most tussles with and, you know, uh, respected, you know, on a, on a weekend, a week out, you know, just thought he was an unsung guy, which is was really, really good at the game. And my own teammates, you know, I played with two, you know, uh, two of the best that, that played for England and Mike cat, who, um, in my opinion was just one of the most well-rounded players that has ever played the game. And he's an assistant coach in, of in Ireland now for the Ireland national team. And, and, uh, so forth, and then the guy that I just thought was better than anybody because he made it look so good, and I probably would tell you that as well, was a guy named Jeremy Guskett, who was a uh, played in the centers for England and uh, played center for Bath, and just probably one of the all-time greats. And you know, he was one of those guys that was like a 200 meter runner. Remember the how Michael Johnson used to run the 200 meter, where mm-hmm. he, you didn't think he was running, but he was just super fast, right? Because you know? uh, it was so you know, uh, you know, uh, efficient, you know, in the way that he did things, you know, um, anyway, those are, those are three guys. And, you know, that, uh, And there's a lot of guys, my own teammates on the U.S. team that I have the utmost respect for and, and, you know, love playing and because it's such a team game, but those are generally the four that are, that are just kind of stood out in, in, in my career. There's a lot of guys that worked, worked hard and I loved playing with traveling with touring with rooming with you know, uh, partying with, you know, but, you know, those are the the four main ones.
0: It's a sport that I've really come to love. And like you said, you know, we all played some form of it when we were younger. You know, when it was snowing outside, just get a ball and go smash each other. And (laughs) whoever doesn't get hurt wins. So sports in the making, uh, you know, I like to get into the behind the scenes and how things work and, you know, try and help people appreciate what goes into Creating sports and, and sports broadcasting there's a movie that I watched recently uh, I get and by recently I say you know in the last 10 years, and that was Invictus so, so Invictus was about the 1995 World Cup. Would you say that that's a, a, a really good film for people to watch to maybe understand the culture, not just politically but just the culture of, of rugby?
1: Yeah. I, well, th- the movie Invictus um, was powerful um, as a story. The rugby was probably just okay, you know, from a from a purist perspective. You know, uh, you know, Matt Damon didn't do anything wrong, but you know, the kind of the the as the as playing Francois Pienaar, who I know very very well, who's the South African captain, played against him on a few occasions. The rugby wasn't the purest, but you know, using sport as Nelson Mandela played by Morgan Freeman did. Uh, to absolutely rugby was the white sport right it was the apartheid sport it right. epitomized brutality to every single black African South African particularly you know and, and it was it was unbelievably powerful and with such foresight that Nelson Mandela could take a sport that was as I said despised by the population the springbok emblem was, it was spit on you know by the, uh, the by black south africans and used that as a unifying principle to say hey look if we're all going to do this we all got to come together and why not start with this sport and if i can do it and if i mean you know, put on the jersey of the captain Francois Pinar the number 6 jersey with flanker and we talked about before the numbers and and wore that and, and just kind of drove home that we all have to come together the rainbow nation in that regard the really really cool thing about that that was real as real as you know waking up every morning and having a good cup of coffee i mean it is real right mm-hmm. and and it was powerful and it, it it did that is that there was there were young people that saw that and the south african national team just won the world cup in japan so the first time the 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 rugby world cup was outside of a traditional country in Asia for the first time in Japan, Japan played unbelievable, got to the quarterfinals, but South Africa beat England in that final comprehensively. Mm-hmm. And the captain of the South Africa team was Saya Colosi. Saya Colosi was the first black man to ever captain South Africa. And he was, the, he held the William Webb uh, Ellis trophy up, you know, just like Francois Pienaar did. With Nelson Mandela, you know, in South Africa in 1995, and he, so it, the the change, even though there's continued strife, continued economic things, uh, people are the, the evolution of things is continuing. That personified why Mandela did that, and 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 that was just, and he won, uh, you know, by way of him being that person and him being inspirational, and that team coming together and. Uh, and playing so well, won so many sports trophies around the world because of of of, of that connection. It was it's a it's something that will that every uh, sportsman should should uh, should look up, that watch Minvictus, and then watch just the last the award ceremony of the uh, of the Rugby World Cup in uh, in Japan from this last fall.
0: It, it it's just amazing how sports has, can be so powerful in that and so that's why you're in it that's why i'm involved in it and that's why millions of people love it so a couple more questions because i only have a few more minutes with you what would you like people to know about rugby that they might not otherwise know
1: well i think the game is uh is inherently known by americans we we know the game. When we see it, we kind of inherently know what they're trying to do, right? The, as we talked about before, the complexities are there, and that it, it is so. Um, it helps, uh, you know, um, you know, people overcome, um, you know, any of their whatever whatever their uh, their backgrounds are. You know, when you get on a rugby field uh, as a boy or a girl, you, you you immediately are part of a team, and I think that that is. You know, and a lot of sports say that and and we play a lot of sports and they all have a lot of driving principles but i think rugby has as a as a special way because of the culture and the values you know and and that everybody passes and catches and everybody tackles and you know as i said it's the same for boys and girls it, it really has a uh, inherent value system an inherent way of 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 engendering itself. Once you play the game, the, the issue is that we just haven't exposed it enough, right. It hasn't had regular broadcasting. It hasn't had regular seasonality. It hasn't had, you know, wasn't part of the American sports complex. So um, it, it's one of those things that If is once you see it, you know, and once you, once you're in, in encased in it um, you're probably um, you're probably going to like it. And then as we become more international as a country, as we, as we look to more of a, of a broader, um, uh, aspects of, of who we are as a country. Rugby is one of those sports that, that allows us to do it and, uh, and do it in the right ways, you know, combat and, and compete and do all those things. But then at the end of the day, you know, shake each other's hands.
0: That's that's good stuff. Finally, what's the best advice you've been given working in sports?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, the, the to, to me, uh, is, there there's a saying that the university of California has that, that all of their players uh, rugby have a mantra for, and which is, you know, uh, you know, entitled to nothing and grateful for everything. And that is an interesting motto, you know um, you know, when you're, when you're playing a physical sport and you're playing a team sport and, and then, you know, I played for the U S team for a decade and, and, and a, you know, a lot of different places around the world and representing your, your, your country and, You know, and and, and doing all the things that you do there. You know, um, the awarding of the jersey jersey is the beginning of the battle, right? That you're that once you get the jersey, you know, that's when it starts. It's not, you know, so and it takes a ton to get the jersey, right? All the preparation, all the all the you know, you got to become the best of the best in order to do that, you know. But that's when it starts. And so I think I think that we all work hard to get to places you know, um, where we can accomplish things. But then is when it all starts, right? Then then you're in the crucible. Then is when, and so sports um, is a place where you have to do all the work to get there and then you have to perform right. at that point, right? And and so I think that that's what sports teaches you is that there's two phases to all this. And, and And then look, how you react to winning and losing and how you and and how you're results driven and performance driven all those things is why sportsmen talk in front of business leaders and say well this is what we do and all that kind of stuff because you know the preparation and all that stuff leads to the performance and the results Um, uh, and i would say that probably that that simplicity of that uh that results and performance matter um, but only you're only as good as your preparation and and because that's that's a that's a tangible thing, you know, in sports because, you know, it, you know, I remember, you know, the you you'd wake up in the next morning after a game and there'd be a number next to your name, you know, of how you performed. Mm-hmm. Like were you a were you a five? Were you a seven? Were you a nine? You know, that kind of stuff. It's pretty tangible, you know, um in a lot of ways, you know, and and um so I, I think you you learn that uh there's there's a couple of different phases to uh getting better sustainability and 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 being good at what you do.
0: So finally, if, if there's anyone who wants to know more about what's happening in rugby here in the U.S., how can they find out more?
1: usarugby.org is is, is a great resource. You can find clubs, uh, find a club, find a place, you know, or if you're in a state, you can just Google, you know, like I'm in Colorado or if you're in California or wherever you may be, just, you know, uh, put California rugby or, or Colorado rugby and you'll find your state-based organization that will be able to, you know, Uh, steer you towards uh, the right place. And um, we're slowly coming out of our shells, you know, and I think it's a, uh, a, uh, I think the Olympic movement and, uh, you know, in this, uh, in this broader um, value system of, of wanting kids to learn things and be respectful of each other and and referees and coaches and, and this international vision that we have, you know, for, for ourselves as a country. And, and each other, you know, to become more receptive and diverse and, and you know, b- bigger than ourselves is why I think, you know, rugby has got a, a real good future for for ourselves. Organizationally, we've got to adapt, but um, it's got all the hallmarks for a, a sport that you'd want your your child to play. Yes, it's physical. Yes, there's some inherentness to it that's uh, anything else, but um, certainly think it's, uh, you know, that shared sacrifice mantra that is, uh, and that teamsmanship, um, man, that's, uh, that's some pretty cool stuff.
0: Well, it's a sport, as I mentioned before, that I've come to love and, and I thank you for coming on with me. Cause I've learned a lot more about what you're doing for rugby and, you know, a little bit more of the history and, and how everything works together. So thank you for your time, Dan, and, and, uh, best of luck growing this, uh, amazing sport here in the U S in the future.
1: Yeah. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.
0: Alright, right, that was Dan Lyle, director of rugby at AEG. Dan's got a lot of work in front of him in growing the sport here, but with his background and his passion for it, I have a feeling he'll get it done sooner than later. Now, I've had the chance to produce a number of rugby events here in the U.S., and it truly is an amazing sport with a lot of really interesting nuances to the game as well. It's also got traditions that are amazing to see, and it's a huge club sport with a lot of history, so I'm excited to see its growth here. Rugby Sevens and Rugby Union are a lot of fun to watch, the fans are great, and there are some hard hits as well, and all without pads, by the way. If you have the chance to watch the movie Invictus with Matt Damon and Morgan Freeman, it's a compelling story that made an impact on history through rugby, so if you have a chance to check it out, I highly recommend it. I look forward to you joining me on the next Sports in the Making podcast to find out about the people who put sports together and to hear some of their stories working behind the scenes sports is slowly starting to get clicking again, and let's hope that everything opens back up completely for the rest of the year and beyond. If you have any suggestions on what you'd like to know more about in sports, drop me a line at sportsinthemaking.com or contact me on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And if you have any questions, I'd love to include them in a future episode with your name. Wherever you listen to this podcast, I'd appreciate it if you like it, share it, and leave positive reviews on your social media channels. Also, be sure to subscribe to Sports in the Making so you don't miss out on more episodes, and you can catch up on previous ones there as well. I'm your host, Don Cardona. Thank you for listening to Sports in the Making.